0: Well, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> As you remember in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John they healed a man who was lame from birth. This was a man who was born with a congenital birth defect. And this man was well known to everyone who used to come to the temple to worship because he used to sit uh, or he was carried to the temple entrance begging for alms every day, not just every now and then, not just occasionally, but day by day, year after year, until this man was over 40 years old. In other words, if you live anywhere near the vicinity of the temple and you came regularly to worship God, you've seen this man, not for a day or two, but for 40 years. But on that faithful day, Peter said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. And we read in chapter 3 how, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And no surprise then that a great crowd of people gathered around Peter and John and around the healed man. And they were simply astounded because they knew who this man was. They had seen him for 40 years, crippled, unable to walk, begging. And they saw him leaping, jumping, walking, singing praise to God. And they were gathered in sheer amazement. And Peter used that opportunity, we read in chapter 3, to proclaim Christ to the astounded crowd. And in chapter 3, verse 15, we read Peter saying to them, You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And in chapter 4, we see the aftermath of what has happened. And the first thing we see in chapter 4 is the interrogation. The interrogation. Because, you see, this was a joyful and a glorious day of this poor man, this pitiful man, who has suffered terribly for 40 years, and everyone knew, and he, by the grace of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, was healed. Everyone was praising God and rejoicing, but on this glorious day of joy, some people only felt panic, resentment, and anger. And so we read, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now in this one thing, the apostles and the leaders were agreed. For Peter and John the healing of the lame man was all about the name of Jesus whom men crucified, but God raised. So you noted that, didn't you? When the crowd gathered, what Peter proclaimed was Jesus Christ who was crucified and died, but God raised him. So the uh, the healing of the lame man for Peter was all about Jesus' resurrection. And it was precisely the resurrection of Jesus that the leaders could not stomach. So they arrested them and put them in custody. But here's the funny thing. You can muzzle men, but not God. You can arrest the witnesses and the apostles, but you cannot arrest or stop the gospel. So while Peter and John spent the night behind bars for the sake of the gospel we read here many of those who had heard the word believed and number of the men came to about 5000 you remember a few chapters ago after Peter's first sermon about 3000 men were added to the church and now they number 5000 strong you can muzzle men you can imprison servants, preachers, Christians. You cannot muzzle the word of God or imprison the gospel. And so the gospel went with power and was saving people. And on the next day, there were rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, I'm certain you recognize those names because these are the same people who presided over Jesus' trial and condemned him to death. Annas and Caiaphas, they were there when Jesus was brought before them. And what's notable also is that Annas and Caiaphas were both Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they were the wealthy and the influential sect, and they had some peculiarities. Sadducees as a sect and as a movement accepted only the first five books of the Old Testament as scripture, and they ignored the rest. So the Sadducees accepted as God's word what we call the Pentateuch, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the Sadducees recognized only, only these five books as Scripture, and they insisted and they argued that these five books of Old Testament by Moses don't say anything about the resurrection of the dead. And so they argued and they believed that there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And understandably, when there is no resurrection of the dead, they also deny the immortality of the soul. Not only that, they control the lucrative business of money changing and the selling of the sacrificial animals in the temple precincts. And here and there in the Gospels, we see the confrontations between Jesus and the Sadducees. You might remember in Luke chapter 20, some of the Sadducees came to Jesus and in what they thought was a gotcha moment. And they wanted to trap Jesus to prove how absurd it was to believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so they brought this ridiculous story of a a woman who ends up marrying the seven brothers. And they asked, now at the resurrection, now whose wife will she be? She was married to all seven. And what Jesus does, he answers them from Exodus chapter 3, one of the books that even the Sadducees recognize as Scripture. And Jesus says, The Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. That That was brilliant, isn't it? Well, where the Sadducees were arguing and insisting that, that the f- first five books of Moses said nothing about the resurrection of the dead, Jesus goes right to Exodus and proves to them how wrong they were. And of course, who could forget? Matthew chapter 21, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seeds of those who sold pigeons. You see, in those days, when worshipers would travel from all over the country to come and worship God in Jerusalem, they obviously could not bring their sacrificial animals with them, so they would bring money. But being on the Roman occupation, their currency was Roman currency and needed to be exchanged for the temple currency. And they would be charged exorbitant exchange rate, and they would be... uh, it charged exorbitantly high price for the sacrificial animals. And by the who's in control? The Sadducees. You see. And Jesus came to the temple and he drove them out. And he said, My it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And so it's not very hard to imagine that the Sadducees nursed the grudge against Jesus and when an opportune time came the Sadducees along with the other leaders of Israel of course but especially the Sadducees the high priest Annas and Caiaphas being among them they put Jesus on trial they brought false accusations against him and they condemned him to die and now It is the very same people interrogating the apostles. And so, as we read this uh, passage, we feel the rise in tension. And if you had never read this passage before, this is a point at which we will be asking Will this be the end of the church? How can you expect anything else from these people? These people who killed Jesus, will they put the church of Jesus Christ, which had just got its beginning? Is this the end of the church? So that is the tension. That is what is at stake. But the second thing we see is the answer. And so these leaders, they brought Peter and John, and they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Now you know, Peter, don't you, how less than six months ago, on that night when Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Peter did not have the courage to follow Jesus closely, but he didn't want to leave him either, so he was circling around. And when a little girl asked him, Hey, Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? Peter was so scared, so terrified at the words spoken by this little girl that he ended up denying Jesus three times that day. But the Peter that we see here is different. What changed them? We read it, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, you see, Peter did not take a course in effective communication or give himself a pep talk of a lifetime. That's not what changed them. Rather, the Holy Spirit kept Jesus' promise. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus promised, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. And now the Spirit of Christ fulfilled Jesus' promise and the Spirit of Christ gave Peter both boldness and what to say. And so Peter answers. The leaders asked, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter answers, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, You know what Peter is saying? You want to know whose name? That very same Jesus that you killed, but that same Jesus that God raised from the dead, This was done in his name. That's very bold, isn't it? To look at the very same group of people that condemned Jesus to death, Peter looks them in the eye and says, that Jesus that you killed, that Jesus that God raised, he did this. And Peter continues, this Jesus Is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, Peter is uh, citing uh, Psalm 118, where David pictures God's kingdom as a house. And the leaders of Israel, they are the builders. They saw Jesus, and they assessed him in their minds and in their hearts, and they judged that Jesus was unfit and unworthy for inclusion into God's kingdom. And having judged Jesus unfit and unworthy, they threw him away. They rejected him. But God, God made him the very cornerstone. Now, cornerstone is what gives a footing and stability to the whole house so that a house cannot stand without the cornerstone. And so while the leaders of Israel, they assessed Jesus and they, and they decided that he is not fit, he is not worthy into inclusion into God's kingdom, God made that very same Jesus the cornerstone so that the kingdom of God cannot stand without him and apart from him. And that is why Peter adds, unsurprisingly, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, note how they responded. You know, they, res- they resented Jesus. They resented Jesus because th- he, Jesus, exposed the folly of their cherished beliefs. You know, they were so sure that there is no such thing as resurrection, that there is no such thing as immortality of the soul. They were so sure that the Pentateuch had nothing to say about the resurrection, but then Jesus showed them how wrong they were, and they resented being shown that they were wrong. They resented Jesus, challenged their beliefs. And not only so, they resented Jesus because he laid open the greed. You know, it was greed that they who were in charge of money changing and selling of the sacrificial animals, that they would extort the people who came to worship God. And basically what Jesus did is, Jesus By exposing their greed, he challenged their economical bottom line. And they resented Jesus for it. And they resented him still. Let's see what happens here. They cannot deny that a marvelous miracle has taken place. Because, you see, everyone knew this crippled man, he had been sitting there for more than 40 years. Every worshiper who came to worship God, they saw him, they knew him, day after day, year after year. And they saw this man healed and restored, praising God. And there was no way that they could deny this great thing, great sign that had taken place. But while recognizing something amazing was done by Jesus, notice that they cannot even bring themselves to utter the name they knew so well. And they say, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. You see, they can't even bring themselves to say the name of Jesus. So deeply entrenched was their resentment for Jesus. But did you hear what Peter said? There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name except the name of Jesus where we find salvation. And these leaders, these Sadducees, in their deep resentment for Jesus, they could not even bring themselves to say the name Jesus. You know, they shut themselves out of God's kingdom and salvation. So first, there is the interrogation. There is the answer. And thirdly and finally, we see the application And when the leaders threaten Peter and John, Peter and John boldly answer, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You see, Peter and John, they knew what these people had done to Jesus. And I think when they said these words, when Peter and John uh, answer back to the leaders, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or to God. I think they said these words expecting they were about to die. You see, these people, they are the ones who condemned Jesus to die. And with boldness, Shall we listen to you or will we listen to God? And it seems to me that these people, they were prepared to die for Jesus if necessary. We need this boldness because we live in a world that threatens all who will speak in Jesus' name. It demands us to say that Jesus is no better than other gods. And it demands us to accept and acknowledge that Jesus's name is no higher than any other name. You know, there is something wonderful about living in a multicultural setting. Every culture is both a reflection of God's wisdom and goodness and a failure of sin. There's no one culture on earth that is purely good or purely sinful. Every culture contains in it elements, reminders of God's goodness and failings. And when we live in a society that is multicultural, there's something wonderful about it or there can be something wonderful about it. But one of the, the risks and the dangers of living in a multicultural society is the pressure, the demand that is put upon us to say, Christ is no better. There is nothing unique about Jesus. There is nothing uniquely outstanding about Jesus. That it is not okay to say that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which man must be saved. We are constantly told to say, no, Jesus is not the only way. That is why you and I, we need this boldness. And this boldness comes only in one way. Notice how the leaders recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know, it, is, it was apparent to them that, that Peter and John, they had no rabbinical training. They were common folks. But having spent time with Jesus, having been trained in the Word of God and having His Spirit, they were able to speak with power, with boldness, with wisdom, and with fruitfulness. And you know, that's where boldness comes it's the time we spend with Jesus, it's the time we spend in the Word, it's the time we spend in prayer. And it's when we are filled with the Spirit that gives us both the word to speak and the boldness to speak with. And loved ones, we care deeply, don't we, to be good witnesses. And the only way we can do that is to be with Jesus, to be in His Word, to be with Him in prayer, to ask for the filling and the empowering of His Spirit. I ask you this in so many ways Christian discipleship is about taking up our cross and dying every day we die daily to ourselves and we die daily to the world that's the only way we can follow Jesus and it may be that some people may indeed be called to die for Jesus In every way but whether it is our daily dying to ourselves and to the world or whether we are called to die for Jesus in that way we need to recognize both one it may come to that second we need to remember that this world killed Jesus but God raised Jesus So let the world do its worst Because God will do one better In fact God will do infinitely better So loved ones, be courageous Be bold I would warn you, however That it is not okay to, to say that everything we do is done in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sometimes we can misinterpret and misapply the Bible so that we put God's holy name and we baptize our political views and our economical views. If you must argue about them, argue about them on different grounds. Be very careful about putting the name of Jesus and other things. But it is about the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on this, don't give an inch. Be bold. Be courageous. And let the world do its worst. And you will see that God will do infinitely better in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we, we pray to you that you would give us this boldness. Lord, we are deeply aware of the great need that is around us, how so many people don't know you, and we are often frustrated with ourselves and we grieve that we often lack the right things to say, and we are not very good at discerning right opportunities. Oh God, we pray that you would lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may always learn from him, that we may be in his word, that we may have fellowship with him, that we may have the fullness of his spirit, that we may have the boldness, the wisdom, the winsomeness, the fruitfulness, to speak for Jesus and proclaim his death and resurrection. And please grant us that courage and help us to be bold. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.